I'm in a series that I'm entitling Home Alone Not. You're not home alone. Because how many of you know that the psychological effects of what is happening with this disease have been profound? You see, there's a disconnect between your emotions and reality oftentimes that exists for all of us. Uh, let me just be real candid. How many of you have ever saw somebody get together with someone and you could see that was the wrong person for that individual, but they were so blinded by their emotions, they thought that was the person God had created for them. And everybody else could see, oh, George is about to make a mistake here. And George finally gets his eyes open and says, why didn't somebody tell me? And you say, we tried. <laughs> we weren't trying to rob you of, of your future but man, everybody else could see the problem or maybe it was Sue that we were trying to warn about George. But the problem is, is that oftentimes there's a disconnect between reality and our emotions. There really is. And so even though we've been in this pandemic and people have been forced to stay home and locked down and couldn't go to work and some have lost their jobs and all of the other things and everybody's saying, stay home, stay home, stay home, don't get out, don't get out, and all of that. Though we know that this was the instruction that we were given to follow, emotionally you can begin to feel very isolated under these circumstances. And then it goes to another level. Not only do you feel isolated because people cannot be in contact with each other. You begin to experience feelings of abandonment. Uh, someone told me in the first service today about their experience. They work in a Kroger. And there's a doctor, a medical doctor, that comes in and out of Kroger regularly and always speaks to this person who is a wonderful child of God and the doctor came up and just hugged them this week and then when the doctor was coming back out said to them I apologize I don't know what got a hold of me I just never do that I don't hug anybody and the person said I think I understood what was going on with them it's just they've been disconnected from people so much they just needed a human touch and we were made to need people in our lives we're not made to sit at home alone. And when you're home alone, you begin to feel abandoned. And then ultimate abandonment sets in. And issues between you and God begin to develop because you begin to feel like he abandoned you. And for that reason, I'm in this series, you're not home alone. Listen to what the word of the Lord says, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? And can I tell you, brothers and sisters, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Before we get into today's message, though, with all of the reversals that we have experienced and economy tanking and right around 40 million Americans out of work, and filing for unemployment. Let's do a little movie trivia just before I get started, okay? This is not going to be hard at all. What male movie actor from the country of Australia made it big and became a household name in action movies? Arnold Schwarzenegger, right. Easy. Okay. In his movies, he became famous for making one-line quips 
spoken in his heavenly accented voice that then took on a life of their own. What is his most famous quote? I'll be back. That's my message today. We'll be back. Amen. Father, I'm asking that you would speak to us this morning. Let your word address the issues of our lives. Give us guidance. Give us the life that's in your word for the word that you speak or spirit. Those words are spirit and they are life. So you declared in St. John. There's no other word that carries the life that your word carries. And so we ask that it would be open to us revelationally that we might grasp those principles of life that are found in it. And for this, we thank you and give you the glory. And everybody shouted and said, in Jesus' name. Great comeback stories are always inspiring, aren't they? There's something about a comeback story that every one of us can relate to. And that's because most of us have been on the bottom at one point or other in our lives and wondered if we would ever get back up again. You cannot talk about comeback stories in the business world without thinking of Apple Corporation. It's got to be at the top of anybody's list. Of course, we know how Apple got started. Stephen Jobs co-founded the company in 1976 with his partner, Steve Wozniak. They were, Stephen Jobs was forced out of his company in 1985 by the CEO that he hired to run it, John Sully, who had previously led Pepsi-Cola Corporation. In 1979, when Stephen Jobs returned to the company he had founded, it was on its very last legs, it seemed, having suffered 12 years of catastrophic reversals and losses. Stock values reached a low of 42 cents a share in 1997, and they hired Stephen Jobs to come back and hopefully rescue that company. The creative energies of Jobs inspired the staff, and they started to turn things around. And within two years, the stock went from 42 cents a share to $99 a share. In 2001, the iPod made its debut and the rest was literally history. The iPhone was released in 2007, then the iPad in 2011. Stock this week, I looked it up, is now valued at over $316 a share. The company, Apple Corporation, is now valued at over $1.3 trillion. That's with a T. If you're wondering what that means, it means there are only 14 nations in the entire world who, whose entire worth is greater than that one company alone. And speaking of comebacks, speaking of comebacks, people are wondering, will we ever come back? Will our nation ever resurge again? Will it ever bounce back? Will the economy ever come back? Will I ever get my job back? Will the company that I'm trying to, to birth and run ever manage to make it through this? That's a question that I hear voiced over and over again in different businesses that I go in. Small business owners, literally, one man looked at me and told me I'm scared to death. He said, I put my life savings into this business in two weeks after I launched it, the lockdown occurred. 
People are asking, will there ever be any sense of normalcy in my life? Will the economy ever recover? Will my life and that of my family members ever return to a state of happiness and stability? And that's a big word, stability. Because we got so used to that in America. Everything was stable, pretty much. What we thought was unstable, we look back on it now and say, oh, for the days. (laughs) We turn to the word of God to look at this whole issue about whether we will come back. And we find several additional passages that I want to read from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, beginning in verse 6. And Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the first thing I want to tell you is when you've got a word from God, you hang on because God always makes his word come to pass. Don't you give up if you've got a word. And don't you change your feelings to reflect reality when you have a word. You hold on to that word until reality is changed to reflect the word. Amen. And this is what Jeremiah wrote. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalem, your uncle will come to you. As near as I can figure, that means cousin, right? Saying, buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me. This is just like God had said, right? In the court of the prison. Now, I want you to notice that. According to the word of the Lord and said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was in Anathoth and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. Now, let me give you the backstory on this, right? Jeremiah has been preaching that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, was going to invade the promised land. And he was going to come like a bulldozer and just roll right over the land of Judah and the land of Israel. And that the people would pretty much be decimated. Those who did not die would be carried away into captivity. Only a few would be allowed to remain To keep the land from being completely overgrown again and and tangled with with briars and thorns and wild beasts and just becoming a virtual wilderness. And Jeremiah is the guy doing all the preaching that this is going to happen. Of course, people don't like that. It wasn't a very popular message. And then whenever Nebuchadnezzar showed up, everybody was saying, all the false prophets were saying... We're going to win this. And Jeremiah said, no, I don't think so. And they threw him into prison. And while he's in prison, this is what happens. God speaks to him and said, Hanamel's going to come and he's going to try to sell you a field. And so Hanamel was unloading property. I want you to see the context. Because they were being invaded. And Hanamel has already heard the prophesying of Jeremiah. Knows he's a true man of God. And Hanamel says, that property is not going to do me much good. I might as well sell it for what I can get out of it. Have a fire sale here. And at least, you know, enjoy what I can, I can enjoy with the money until 
either I get killed in this invasion or they carry me 700 miles away and put me into captivity there in Babylon. And so it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? He wants to dump the property. And he looks around for somebody to sell it to. It's going to be dumb enough that he can con. And he said, oh, I know who it is. I've got a cousin, Jeremiah, that preacher. <laughs> you know, he's so heavenly minded. He's no earthly good anyway. Let me go sell it to him. And so he shows up and God tells Jeremiah before he gets there that he's coming and what he's going to come for. Now, I don't know about you, but there, there have been a few times in my life I would have appreciated God showing up to tell me, so-and-so's coming to try to sell you something that's too good to be true. Because I've had a few folks show up like that, but I didn't get any advance notice from God. It just turned out later that I wish I had. Amen. And so this is what God tells Jeremiah. When he comes, I want you to buy the field. And Jeremiah is already thanking God. Thank you for the warning, Lord. Thank you for letting me know so I don't waste any money on this field. And then God says, but I want you to buy the field. And Jeremiah's like, what? You're really kidding, right? You can't be serious. You're the one. Hey, 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 it's me, God. It's Jeremiah. Did the email, was the email meant for me? Did you mean send this to somebody else to buy the field? I'm the guy that has been prophesying at your command that the whole country is going to be devastated. And you know what happens to property values then, don't you? Literally, Jeremiah debated with God. Listen to this, Jeremiah 32, 24. He says to God, look, the siege mounts. And what they did back in that day is they would build these earthen uh, ramps, as it were, up to the height of the level of a city wall. The wall was to defend the city and they would build this ramp up. And from there, they would put build towers and the archers could shoot into the city until... You know, they were able to overrun the city and down beneath people would be ramming against the gates trying to knock them open and the archers would be protecting them and, and this whole thing is going on. And Jeremiah says, God, did you notice the siege ramps out here? <laughs> and I'm the guy you told all this was going to happen to. And they have come to the city to take it and the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. What you have spoken has happened there, God, you see it. And you have said to me, buy the field for money <laughs> and take witnesses. Yet the city's been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. But come on, God, you know what's going to happen to this property. It's not going to be worth anything. And then in verse 36, God answers Jeremiah. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, when you get a word from God, in the middle of a crisis, it changes everything. Everything, everything is changed. When you've got a word from God to anchor your hopes upon. It causes things to look different. And God says, concerning the city of which you say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them 
out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in my wrath. And I will bring them back to this place. And I will cause them to dwell safely. I'll be back. We'll be back. God's people are going to be back. It may look dark, but God's going to cause divine reversal to occur. And God said, they shall be my people and I will be their God. You say, pastor, how does that apply to what we're going through right now? There are a number of very important principles that we can extrapolate from this story. And first of all, I want you to understand that it means that even believers experience upsets in life. We read about the dire prophecies that Jeremiah gave of tragic loss and consequences and of suffering And we assume that he was exempted from experiencing any of these things, but he wasn't. Jeremiah wasn't making these predictions from some luxury five-star resort in another country. He wasn't even living in a rundown cabin in in the woods. He was right in the middle of it. I've already shown you that he was even in prison in the city. My point is this. I would love to tell you that because you're a child of God that you won't have to deal with the effects of COVID-19 on the economy or losing your job. I would love to tell you that all your investments are going to turn out well. I would love to tell you you won't ever lose a loved one. You won't ever get sick. But I can't tell you that. Jeremiah was right in the heart of everything that was happening. And even worse, he was suffering more than others were because he was the one that they hated so desperately for daring to tell them what was actually going to come down. And you see, Jeremiah suffered too, and so do we. He was suffering because of the decisions made by others in charge. And as a believer, it affected him. And guess what? We are affected by the decisions that are made by those in charge right now too. Look at what Jesus said in John 17 and 16 in the high priestly prayer that he prayed just before he went to the cross. He prayed concerning his disciples and he said, they are not of the world, even or just as I am not of the world. You see, he wasn't of this world. He came from another world. His citizenship was in another place. And you and I may be in the world, but we're not of the world. We also have our citizenship somewhere else. But guess what? He was affected by the decisions made by others in this world while he was here. And that's why they crucified him. And you and I are affected by the decisions made by the leadership of this world too. Secondly... From this story, we can see that sometimes the rough patches you're going through in life can last for a while. Oh yeah, we would all like for them to be very brief, you know. God, I got a 10 o'clock appointment. I got to meet somebody at 1230. Lord, I don't mind the test. Just get it over with in a hurry, right? You know, God said, this one's going to be a while, Jeremiah. It's going to last for a time. My people are going to be carried away into captivity for 70 years. 70 years. God is stating things are not going to change quickly. 
This time of hardship that they were in wasn't going to go away in a hurry. The difficulties they were fasting or facing rather were there to stay for a while. Before it was over, many of the people who lived right there in that area would be dead. And those who were not, most of them would be carried away into captivity. And guess who was suffering right in the middle of it with them? And it's this man of God, God's voice of power for the hour, right there in the middle of it all. He who alone represented righteousness before that nation. And you feel like sometimes, hey, hey God, hey, it's me, I'm your child. I'm going through this rough place right now. Just thought I'd let you know it's me. Did you forget about me? You overlooked me? Hey, (laughs) God, Heavenly Father. You know, that kind of a deal. God hasn't forgot about you. And he knows that you're going through a rough place. And he knows that, that this rough place was not of his design. Wasn't caused by him. Wasn't it all caused by him? But I love the fact that it said a little earlier in verse 38 that when he does bring people back, they will be his people and he will be their God. He didn't design it, but God knows how to work through it to turn people's hearts to God. Have you read the results of the Pew survey that was done just recently that over 60% of Americans are praying now? Over 60% of Americans are praying now. 44% of Americans believe that this this COVID-19, this pandemic, though God didn't start it, God is talking to us through it. Yes, people who forgot all about prayer don't need you, God. I got my 401k, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Hey, thank you very much. I'll call you if I need you. They're calling on him now. Yes, America is on the verge of a revival. And we have prayed for revival for years. God, wake our nation up. Wake our nation up. And it's taken some tough times for us to get to this point. But even though tough times can last a while, let me tell you, tough times don't last forever, but tough people hang around for a mighty long time. And... Look at somebody and say, I'm like a Timex. I can take a licking and keep on ticking. I'm, I'm going on. I'm serving God. I'm living for God. Third, both Jeremiah and Israel, God said, you're going to make it through this. Jeremiah 32, verse 37. Again, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in my great wrath. And I will bring them back to this place. I want you to remember that. This place. Everybody say, this place. One more time, this place, and I will cause them to dwell, everybody say, safely. Come on, let me hear you, safely. You see, you've got a this place in your life. I don't know what that this place is before COVID-19 came around, but it represents a place of stability and promise. It represents a place of security and safety. It represents a place of blessing and favor. And what you need to do is you need to take that verse and write it down and put it on a postum and stick it on your refrigerator door. Amen. Stick it on the bathroom mirror. And every time you walk by it, say, I'm coming back to this place. I'm, I'm going to be blessed again. I'm not living the rest of my life the way I'm living it right now. No, I'm not. I'm coming back to this place and I'm going to dwell safely. You see, 
there's been so much fear-mongering that people are terrified. Even a lot of church folk, and, and I'm not making them feel bad. I will not. You need to come when you're comfortable. And, and I'm saying that not because uh, they are, are going to hear this because they're not here. They're not to hear it. But I'm saying this so that you can tell them what I said. I'm not going to ask people to come until they feel comfortable because right now, you know what everybody's like? Ooh, let's watch. He puts his toe in the water and a shark bites it off. I don't want to go swimming. And so they have to wait and watch and for the rest of us to put our toe in the water. But things are improving. We're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And I just want to tell you, you're going to dwell safely. That's a word from God. Speak it over your family. Speak it over your household. My house is safe. I need somebody to declare it. My home is safe. My marriage is safe. My finances are safe. I may be going through a rough place, but I'm coming back. Fourth, God declared that he would cause this struggle to end. He was going to bring Israel back from their captivity into their promised land once more. And Jeremiah, who has been questioning the wisdom of buying that field, God specifically addresses that and says in verse 43, And fields will be bought in this land of which you say, it is desolate without man or beast that has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Jeremiah was saying, God, this place is desolate. There's nobody here. And God is saying, you're saying that. But let me tell you what I'm saying. You see, there needs to be a divine reset take place in our lives. Where instead of us saying what everybody else is saying, we start saying what God is saying. I wish I could hear an amen. I feel like preaching. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And I'm preaching better than you're responding. Can I say it like that? You need to say what God is saying over your life. Amen. Everybody out there, you listen. Oh, my God, have mercy. There's so much negativity. and oh, You know, stick your nose out. and There's a COVID virus waiting outside for you to open your door going to jump on you. Amen. And understand I'm not making fun of people who have been sick and who have lost their lives. But that has gone so far tilted over this way. Can I bring it back just a little bit? Can I tilt it back a little bit toward the middle? Can I tell you that you've got a God who knows how to watch over his children? Can I tell you that a thousand will fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh thy dwelling. Can I tell you that he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. Can I tell you when you pray that God causes angels to form an impenetrable wall around you that virus can't get through negative thoughts can't get through negative emotions can't get through amen look we want to do everything right we want to take the precautions we need to take yes we do we want to make sure that we stay safe but you can stay in your home and die hello somebody Yes, you can. Over 600 doctors sent that letter to President Trump saying the collateral cost of not reopening is greater than reopening. 
You can't have cancer detection right now in many of the states, and we haven't been able to for three months. And look, can I be real candid with you? I've had a little bout with, with some of that, and I was supposed to have had an exam four months ago that's been postponed. So I'm not talking about other folk. I'm talking about like it's yours truly right now. You know what I mean? And they haven't been able to do things like heart procedures and valve replacements and stents and and all of that and radiation and chemotherapy. And that's what doctors are saying that the collateral damage of keeping the economy closed is actually going to be more destructive than allowing it to reopen as the numbers go down because there's a nexus where these things come together and the cost of not doing anything is greater than the cost of doing something. Uh, I can leave that to the experts. And I'm not going to get in the middle of all of that and I'm certainly not going to make folk feel bad who are a little bit at this moment concerned. That's not the, the emphasis of my message, but I can't preach my message if I don't address the reality of these concerns. They do exist. But having said that, I will say this, I'm coming back, baby. I'll be back. You'll be back. Your family's going to be back. You're coming up. God's people are coming up. Yes. God said, men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and the places around Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and the mountains and the cities of the mountains and the cities of the lowland and the cities of the south. For I will cause their captives to return, says the Lord. That's a word for our nation. If America will turn from its wicked ways and not just use prayers of fire escape out of trouble. But they will get serious about God and serious about serving God and serious about going to church and serious. Oh, Lord, I'm about to get myself into some deep trouble right now. But when the anointing comes on me, I don't even really care. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, this whole thing of having having sports on Wednesday when they know churches are having Bible study having tournaments on Sunday, if we get our priorities straight again as a nation, if Christian folk would look at some of those organizers and say, nope, my son won't be there because we're going to be in the house of God and his education and church is just... I'm really stepping off in it right now. But what is my point? My point is we have more leverage than we have ever had as believers. And we need to use that leverage correctly right now. We're at a critical juncture. Yes, we are. We're at a critical place. That's a word for our nation. America will turn from its wicked ways and God will once... Again, look upon us and see that we're serious about him. Then he will bless us. And we will be the head and not the tail. We'll be above and not beneath. And number five, and I close. God assured Jeremiah that divine reversal was coming. He was going to be more blessed later than he had been before. That's a word for somebody. I'm not only getting back to my place, I'm going to be more blessed in my place than I was before I got forced out of my place. And that was the whole purpose 
of God having Jeremiah buy that property. What he was telling him was, Jeremiah, it may look like you're wasting your money right now. But look, son, that bad investment isn't nearly as bad as you think it is. Because while you live in it right now, I'm already years ahead of you. And you're not going to be carried away captive. And Jeremiah wasn't. And you know what's going to happen? That property is going to soar in value. Somebody's going to come along. They're going to do a housing real estate development in that area. And your property is going to be worth a lot lot of money. It's going to be like buying shares in Berkshire Hathaway when Warren Buffett first got started or like buying shares in Apple when Steve Jobs and Wozniak first launched it. Boy, I tell you what, I wouldn't mind buying up a few shares at 42 cents. A share and having them right now, you got to make the whole world look a little different from you know, I'd be feeling pretty good. If I bought a thousand shares, oh my, that's only four hundred what what twenty dollars. Now you're saying I must have done no I didn't, I'm just wishing I can daydream, can I? Amen. That's what you do in the kingdom of God. You can bet on God. Did you hear that? I want to close with that. You can bet on God. You can bet God's got your back. You can bet that he has a future for you. You can bet you're coming up. You're going to bet we're going to fill this place up again. You can bet God's going to bless you financially. You can bet your life is going to get back on track again. Yes, it is. Righteousness and faithfulness will always be rewarded. Amen. So the message in conclusion, conclusion is simply this. There there's hope. Look at somebody near you and say, there's hope. Would you do that? Can't high five them right now. Don't even get close enough to do an elbow bump. Amen. But just look at him and say, there's hope. I'm here to declare to you that you're not done yet. The devil is a liar. There is a disconnect from your reality to what God is actually going to bring about. He may pray on your mind and tell you it's all over, but it isn't. He may tell you your company's going down the twos, but look at somebody and say, I'm going to be more blessed tomorrow than I am right now. I'm coming up. I feel it. I got some wind under my wings. I got some wind in my sails. I'm coming up. You can't keep God's people down when they trust in God. That's a truth found throughout the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, whether it's Joseph in prison or Moses on the backside of a desert or, or Hannah barren in Mount Ephraim or David in the cave of Adullam or Jeremiah in the middle of Jerusalem in a siege or Ezekiel by the rivers Chebar or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in a fiery furnace or Daniel in a lion's den. Anytime you rely on God, God can always be depended upon to bring you out and to bring you back. And so I'm talking one word today and I close with this and that is restore. Restoration is coming. I need somebody to stand to their feet and say restoration is coming my way. God's going to restore what the enemy lost. He's going to restore. Yes, he is. 
You're not done yet. Enemy's trying to tell you you are. But you're not done yet. You still got another round in you. In fact, you got a few more rounds in you. Bring it up. Yeah, bring it on. That's right. You're going to make it through this and you're going to look back and you're going to say, wow, did God ever prove himself faithful to me? Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. We're going to sing that song, great is thy faithfulness and tears are going to run down your cheeks because you're going to throw up both your hands and say, I know exactly what you're talking about. When the writer penned the words of that song, he was pinning my testimony. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. You've never let me down. You haven't started and you never will. You're always there. You're going to, you're going to cause me to be blessed. I wish that I could just go out and hug every one of you. It's a great big virtual hug to each of you right now. I wish that if you're visiting with us today that we could do what we've always done in the past and meet you in the conference room and I could get to know you and shake your hand right now. You'd look at me like, whoa, amen. You, You wouldn't want that to happen. But as we close this service, I want to say to all of those that have watched this message online, we love you so much. We're so glad that you've joined us and to our members who have watched this online and to our guests who just happened to find us. If you need God in your life, I'm about to pray. If you're here today and you need God in your life, while every head is bowed right now, would you just slip up your hand and say, pray for me, pastor. I, I need the Lord in my life. I need God. Amen. Need God. God bless you. God bless you in the back, sir. I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you in the risers. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hand. And God bless you, ma'am. Father, I pray right now that you will come into every heart that is open, every heart where the door has been thrown wide to accept and receive you. And Lord, we pray together as children of God and we pray, forgive us. Cause our sins to be hidden under the blood of Jesus. Lord, we believe in you. We believe that you lived and died and rose again. And that you conquered death, hell, and the grave. That we could be with you. That we could be redeemed. And we accept that sacrifice in place of the cost that we would have had to pay ourselves. And we ask you to be the Lord of our lives. In Jesus' name, thank you for the blood that cleanses us from all sin. And if you prayed that prayer with us today, I'm so happy to welcome you to be a part of the family of God. And I also would like to ask you to do three other things. Don't stop with just the prayer you prayed, but go on to do three other things. What you do is then be baptized. You've made a decision that you want to be a child of God. Now follow through on that commitment by being baptized in water to follow the example that Jesus set for us for the remission of your sins and the lovely name of our Lord. Number two, be filled full of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that you may live the empowered life. And number three, go on to become a Bible-believing child of God. And to do that, 
You really need to become a part of a Bible-believing church. We welcome you here to inspire. You don't have a home church. We're so glad you're with us or watching us today. But become a part of a Bible-believing church and also study the Word of God. Become a student of God's Word. I promise you, you will be inspired by it and it will elevate your life. Before we leave, and I always love the way we closed our services previously. I can't wait to the day when we can get back maybe to doing that. There was so much power. We've had so many miracles happen around these altars. Right now, they're advising us against it, and I apologize for that. Uh, Not being able to do it, not because we're following their advice. That's not why I'm apologizing. I I just wish we had that as an option to offer you, but we can't right now. But... While every head is bowed one more time, is there anybody in this house today that needs to be touched by God? You need God's intervention in your life. You need to bounce back. You need a comeback in your life. You need a job. You need a comeback in your marriage. You need a comeback in a relationship. You need a comeback in a ministry. You need a comeback. Somehow God is talking to you. Would you slip up your hand right where you are? Hands going up across the building. God bless you. We're going to pray together. And Father, I pray that every person here that needs a comeback, God help them to buy the field. Let them know they can put their confidence in the word of God Almighty. Let them know that your word will never fail them, that your word will never fall to the ground, but it will always accomplish that which you sent it to do. I ask you to raise people up. I ask you to help people recover from the devastating losses of this illness. Those that need a job, I'm asking for you to supply that supernaturally. Those of you that need healing in this congregation, if you'll just raise your hand right now, if you need healing, amen. Father, I'm asking you for healing. I don't care what it is. Lord, I don't care what the need is. I want you to heal across this building. In the middle of this pandemic, things like blood pressure and, and things like heart disease and, and things like, like arthritis and things like lung conditions have been ignored and everything's been focused on one other thing. Diabetes has been overlooked. God, I'm asking you to heal in the middle of this. And God, I'm asking you to show yourself strong and mighty. And, and God, I want you to raise people up in the name of Jesus. Jesus.